So we're in the second week of this Grow and Gather series, and this week we're talking about awe. For me, when I think about awe in those times that I've really experienced awe, I always go back to Mongolia when we lived in a log cabin out in the countryside, away from everything, with no light pollution. And if you have ever seen the stars in that kind of setting with no light pollution, you see the stars as they truly are. Well, as close as we can from this earth. I just remember it started with the silver plane. The sky would start to turn to violet. We always had lightning bugs. Lightning bugs would begin to swarm. The constellations form. And then when the lights truly came out, when it truly got dark, it's all motion, right? It's not just lights that are stationary there. There's wheels that start blazing. It's truly, truly awesome. I think in another life, I would have loved to pursue physics. Because physics, the relationship that it has with astronomy, the relationship that it has with how the stars move and our life, we're talking about energy, we're talking about matter changing, we're talking about the building blocks of the universe. Every once in a while, I have a friend who is a physicist, and I'm a theologian. So we try to mix cosmology and theology together, and we talk about where does that go back to the beginning. And I was really excited because a couple months ago, it was confirmed there was the discovery gravitational waves really do exist. That was really exciting for me, and I'll tell you why. Because gravitational waves is all that. It's the stars. It goes back to the general relativity. It goes back to Einstein. And Einstein, in a lot of ways, the way that he saw the universe, I truly believe that in his mind he saw the eternal. And Einstein, when I was young, I was a little bit of a skeptic, but knowing that he believed in a designer and he was trying to bring everything to simple beauty, to simple truth, and that the fact that there was a design saved my faith in a lot of ways. So I wanted to get together and I wanted to talk about gravitational waves. And gravitational waves are really cool because they support Einstein's theory. But what they do is they kind of change how we see the universe. And they do that because they change how we see exploration. Because now we can start looking at the space-time curvature in ways that we could not before. Are you guys with me? <laughs> We're talking about black holes, right? Gravitational waves can go into black holes. You start going into black holes. You start thinking how everything puts together. That's why there's millions and millions of dollars spent in Switzerland on this huge particle collider. The Higgs particle is actually called the God particle. We're getting to the mystery of life. We're actually getting a glimpse of eternity. We're all going back to creation. Yeah. If there's a creation, there must be a creator. That's why it's cool. That's why I got so excited about it. It's awesome. It's cool to talk and dream and get glimpses. But my friend who makes a living out of physics, as we were talking, he just simply asked me, you know what, George? I went into it because I was awe-filled. But when I talk to my friends, my scientist friends, there seems to be a disconnect when we start talking about science and we start talking about worship. How do I have science and worship come together? The rules of science sometimes get lost in the forest. We get so focused on the tree that we lose the awe, and there's a disconnect. How do I get that connect back, George? We get so focused on the tree that we lose the awe. For example, he asked me, how do I scientifically write a poem about a rainbow? 
It's not very awe-inspiring using the laws of science to describe a rainbow. I said nonsense. So for my friend, I'd like to give this a try. Rainbow, spectrum obtained through glass prisms. Point of continuum of wavelengths without bands. The Munsell system of 100, do I see your seven colors? That's a question of linguistic relativity. Sunlight refracted in raindrops. Incident and outgoing rays. Rainbow, how majestic is your form? What do you guys think? Filled with awe? Yeah. I, I wrote that myself. I'm, I'm proud of it. Sometimes there is a disconnect, and I think I, I see where it is. Because we spend a lot of time, and we do this in theology too, where we try to define awe. And we all know that awe is not something that you can break down and define as something that experienced. And we spend a lot of time, particularly in theology and how we live our life and how we make our faith work in life, and we make that disconnect because we want to do it ourselves. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, the large paradigm of Mark, there's a beautiful mystery there. And Mark talks about the beautiful mystery. And the way that he talks about it is ultimately it's death to self, and that's how you uncover the mystery of God. But we spend a lot of time because life is hard, and we do meet a lot of people that don't believe the same things we do, and we go exclusively into our sphere of spiritual and self-knowledge. But the Gospel of Mark talks about this sphere, and it says the deeper you go in your self-knowledge, what is surrounded by that? is the beautiful mystery of God. So anyone that's walked a little bit in their faith, the deeper they go, what happens is that sphere gets larger. You learn more about Jesus. You get to the point where you start thing, seeing things like, you know, the tenets of our faith are humility and compassion and death to self. It goes bigger. But then what happens? Your sphere of self-knowledge starts coming in more surface contact with the mystery. And sometimes that's a little uncomfortable because God asks us to step out. But there's beauty there. There's tension there. I'm a firm believer that there should be tension in our faith because tension is what propels us forward. And when we do that, when we live in that place of that tension and we come in the mystery of God and we're willing to live there and leave our own bias out of everything, what happens? We're not relying on our own self-power because ultimately what you find out is if you rely on yourself, you're going to fall. You're going to fail because we don't have the power to do a lot of things on our own. And when you live like that, when you live relying on yourself, you don't live a life of awe. So that's what I want to talk about. That's what we want to talk about this morning because there is a truth. We have that saying, that's awesome, right? How often do we go around saying that's awesome? Quite a bit. But are we really awe-filled when we start talking like that? Do we really live awe-filled lives every day? I would say no. No, we don't. But we put it in context of the Bible. There's some really core truths in the Bible. And you look at anybody that's walking with God in the Bible, you look at some of these testimonies, they are living a life of awe. Beautiful Savior in awe of our majestic God. And this is a very important question. This morning we want to spend the teaching time looking at this question because, in my mind, this is the most important question. How big is your God? 
Because I'm deeply and passionately convinced that the answer to this question is going to affect every area of your life. How you live. How big is your God? How big is Christ in your life? Do you rely on your own self-power? Do you make your God too small? Do you not trust that you're in the hands of a fully competent, all-knowing, ever-present God? If you wake up tomorrow, what are the implications? Because here is a core truth. God is very big, and we are small. Live with humility. That's how you live with awe. That's the secret to having God be big. That's the mystery, and that's beautiful. Don't shortchange yourself on the power to live. Because the real practical implications. What happens tomorrow if you wake up and your God is too small? You're going to get up. You're going to go outside, go to work, go wherever you're going to do, however you're living your day. But what is going to happen? You're going to get frustrated because you're relying on your own self-power and you are going to come into circumstances that are out of your control. That's a hopeless place to live. Tomorrow when you wake up, if your God's too small, what happens when you get a chance to tell your friends about Jesus? You're going to doubt yourself. You're going to worry about whether or not you're going to get rejected. You're going to worry about whether or not you have the right words to say, and you're going to short-circuit the Holy Spirit and not allow the Spirit to show up, and you're not going to do it because you're relying on your own self-power. Opportunities are going to come to be generous, and when they come... They're going to go because you're not going to step into those opportunities because your financial success, your financial stability, security, all relies on yourself. You won't be generous. As a parent, if your God is too small when your kids come home from school and they're coming into contact with their non-believing friends and a non-believing school system and they're coming up with tough questions because they're growing up in a generation that's coming into contact that you with things that you and I could never imagine. What happens if you are relying on your own self-power to try to answer some of those questions? You're going to short-circuit the teaching opportunity for your kids. You're not going to teach them how to think. You're not going to teach them how to interact. What's really going to happen is you're going to dim their light in their school and with their friends because you're going to be giving them a shallow, pat answer. And if you rely on your own self-power we don't have all the answers. We rely on God. Honesty. If your God is too small, you're going to be relying on your own self-power. What happens when you pray? You're going to be offering up prayers, never really believing that God is going to show up to answer them. If you rely on your own self-power and your God's too small, you'll worship without any awe. You will never come into contact with the great I am. And if your God is too small, you will serve, but you'll serve begrudgingly. That's not a good place to live. You'll suffer, but you'll suffer without any hope. That's misery. That's tragedy. We must not live without awe, because if we do, our God is too small. But let's be honest. Because being honest is one of the tenets of our faith. And if we're not honest, we're not doing anything. We don't live with awe. I say that for myself. I say that phrase, that's awesome. 
but it's lost some meaning. When I say that's awesome, it's usually thoughtless. Sometimes it's flippant. Sometimes it's even sarcastic. But I'm almost never really awe-filled when I say it. I'm not expressing awe when I say it. I don't live a life of awe. My life, George Kennedy, is not filled with awe every day. Why? Because I'm not patient. I think sometimes it's easier to rely on myself. And I'm not humble. I want to do it myself. So how do I get there? And in the context of the Grow and Gather, this series, next week we're coming together to celebrate what God has done. And we're talking about improving the sanctuary and building a multi-use facility. So in my small brain, and we've talked about this before, how do I make the connection with awe and where we're going? It's legacy. We've been talking about all the great things that God has been doing at Wyzetta, all the lives that have been changed. And when we come together next week, let's celebrate, let's really mark his goodness. We're going to talk about the future, and we're going to dream big. We're going to say to God, anything is possible. We believe it. We trust you. We're going to step into it. Everything that we have is yours, including ourselves, our lives. We are yours. Use us how you will. Because that's legacy too. What we want to leave behind for the next generation. We're going to get toward answers like, how can I have a life filled with awe? And then how can I leave it? How can I have a legacy of awe? So let's go to First Chronicles. We're going to look at the context where they're gathering gifts for the temple. First Chronicles 29. The context is 1 through 20. Let's pick it up in verse 9. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise to you, O Lord, the God of our Father, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generally, generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. This is a great story. This is a great story of the king of Israel who has a great heart and he wants to glorify God. He wants everyone to know how great God is. So he comes to God and says, God, I want to build you a temple because up to that point it had just been the tabernacle and the tabernacle is basically a great big tent. So he wants to glorify God, comes to God and says, God, I want to build you a house for you to dwell and everyone can see how great and good you are. God says... No, David, you can't do it. You're a man of war. There's too much blood on your hands. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple. But what you can do, David, is you can do the preparations. You can get the offering. So what's David's response? David says, okay, I'm all in. And that's the first part of Chronicles 29. David says, okay, I'm all in. And he gathers the offerings. And the offerings are awe-inspiring. And we're building up to verse 9. 
Because not including what David gave out of the kingdom treasure, his own personal wealth, and what Israel brought together added up to around 300 tons of gold, 635 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3,750 tons of offering. And then you add to that, you see they're bringing jewels, they're bringing marble, they're bringing precious stones. It's an awesome offering. Everybody gave a big offering to build the temple, and what happened is awe. Well, let's jump down to the end, because in my mind, I always like to see the end, because it's easier to get there. So at the end of this passage, 1 Chronicles 29, this is where we're going, okay? Verse 20, this is the result. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God, so they all praise the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. True awe, true worship. How do we get there? Let's jump back to verse 9. Because in verse 9 it says this, Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. They made their offerings to the Lord with a whole heart, and King David greatly rejoiced. What we have to do is we have to look at this and see what's really happening. The reason why everybody rejoiced, the reason why there's such great joy because of this offering is not because of the material that's come in the first verses of Chronicles 29. That's not it. Because God has already promised to David the temple is going to be built. So David is not rejoicing in the material that's happened, the gathering of the offering, and the fact that they're going to be able to build the temple. What's happening is the way they offered the gifts. The people rejoiced because they offered so willingly. They made their offerings to the Lord with a whole heart. It's their motives. David is rejoicing because at this time in Israel's history, God is very big. Everybody's off-filled. Everybody is following God. Everybody wants the other nations to know that God is real. Israel is a world power. The name of God is great among the nations. Israel is a light. There's awe. There's worship. David is a man called all heart, a whole heart. He's a man after God's own heart. I think probably the highest compliment you can pay anyone is to say, you know what? He or she, they're all heart. Why? Because that's a person that's totally relying on God. That's a person that has found the tension between how we move through life with our self-knowledge and the beautiful mystery. That's a person that is living in God's larger redemptive story. That's a person that is all in. David messes up. He's a man after God's own heart. He, has, he sins miserably. But even in that, he comes before the Lord in awe and humility and says, God, I have sinned against no one but you. Take my life. That's all. That's humility. That's before the blood of our Savior. So this offering, if we look at David's prayer in Chronicles 29, 10 through 13, it doesn't just happen. This offering only happens when God is at work in people's lives. And out of that, they give. And what happens? There is Legacy, the next generation is greatly blessed. But you go back to verse 9. David the king greatly rejoiced. David is moved to a place of deep 
joy. When you approach God with awe, that's what happens. That's what awe does. Awe moves you to deep joy. Something happens deep down inside of you and of me, and something happens with awe that doesn't happen with anything else. David is a poet, and we talk about how the Old Testament is about 40% poetry. Why is that? God is communicating because he knows when you get that transfer from the head knowledge down into your heart, then you're opening it up, and then awesome things can happen because you're trusting in him. It's a translation from head to heart. That's how you live. You live with humility and gratitude. And when we're talking about legacy at YZ, how do we do it? To leave a legacy of awe. Well, one of kind of the laws of the universe is how we define legacy. You can't leave what you don't have. So as a church, Wyzetta, what we want to do is humbly come before God so that we are filled with awe and we can pass it on to the next generation so that we can be a light. So during these three weeks of Grow and Gather, we are talking about commitments that will And we are talking about the multi-purpose facility. But I want to be honest, and I will cut right down to the bottom in the context of legacy. Because, I'll just say it bluntly, the multi-purpose facility is not our legacy. It's just a building. Someday it's going to be gone. The temple... It was gone, it was destroyed. It's not going to last forever. Don't get me wrong, it's going to be a great building. The plans are amazing. Have you seen the plans? It's going to be a great building. I'm planning on moving in there myself. That's how awesome it's going to be. <laughs> on behalf of the outreach team, I just simply want to call dibs, okay? We get first dibs on that. It's going to be awesome. But ultimately, that's not our legacy. It's just a building. However... What happens in that building is going to be awesome because we build a facility to help facilitate hope, to help facilitate light, to help facilitate the good news. And when we start reaching out in the community through that building, thousands and thousands of lives are going to be changed. Thousands of lives are going to be changed in that building, changed forever. We had Teen Challenge come here two weeks ago. And I love the testimony of Teen Challenge, they got up here, they were all heart, they shared their hearts, they were vulnerable, and they reminded me of something. Sometimes I think when I'm in this faith and I'm moving along, I forget just how good I have it. It's easy to forget that we all come from a place with no hope. Teen Challenge, that's why their testimonies were beautiful. We forget what it was like to live without help, to live without God's power and presence and protection in our lives. The Bible says when we come to Christ, he starts changing us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, and as the Lord, as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more like him. That's our mandate. That's God's goal for us to make us godly, to make us Christ-like. And as we experience that hope, We are to be the hope for others. 
purpose of the church is that, to change lives in everything that we do. We're here to help people take the next step to Jesus wherever they are in their faith journey. That's the core truth about us. We're not a building. We're not programs. We're not music. We're not a super awesome message. Wyzetta, we are in the business of changing lives, and we do not have the power to do that without the power of Jesus Christ. We are in partnership with Christ, totally relying on him for everything. And when that happens, when we approach our mandate, we become what the church is supposed to be, the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's awesome. Teen Challenge, the testimonies are awesome because the power of God has the ability to take an addict and turn him into a responsible citizen. I've seen that in this church. The power of God has the responsibility and moves in changing marriages and bringing husbands and wives back from the brink of destruction, of divorce, of hatred. That is going on right now in Wyzetta. Only God can make that kind of change. It's transforming power. I've seen people so consumed with fear and worry, living every day filled with anxiety. Leads anxiety, leads to bitterness. I've seen them become forgiven. I've seen them stepping out into life. I've seen them be bold champions for Jesus Christ. I've seen people come to Jesus in this church. So many of you are involved in Bible studies and you're inviting your non-believing friends. And what's awesome, we have people in this church that are reading the Bible for the very first time. Amen. There's power. We have a Bible study fellowship where so many people are here reading the Bible, studying the Bible, that we don't have enough rooms for all of them. They're meeting in the halls, but they're hungry for God. Our families are growing up here. Our youth are pursuing their faith. They are lights in Wyzetta High School. They're entering into dialogues with their friends about hard questions of faith, other religions, other beliefs, other values, and they're doing it right out of the context of John 3.16. The youth of Wyzetta High School are hearing and seeing the love of Christ through our high school students right here at this church. We take our kids' ministry very seriously with awe and reverence. When you go downstairs, take a breath. Silent your soul for a minute because you are entering into holy ground. Because downstairs is where we teach our kids about Jesus. Wyzetta is taking the light to dark places. I've had the privilege to travel all over the world. We have missionaries represented in dark places. I just got back from Turkey, and we have missionaries there that are living in an Islam context. There were two bombings when I was there, but they are living there. That is Wyzetta's legacy. We are taking the light of Jesus Christ around the world. 